You're listening to On the Record Off Script. My name is Mark Coffin, and I am your host. This is the second last episode in our journey through the experiences of former Nova Scotia MLAs. In this episode, we're going to talk about what Nova Scotia MLAs had to say about how we can change politics in Nova Scotia. We might be almost done telling the story of Nova Scotia's former MLAs, but we're definitely not done with podcasting. First, I want to tell you about a new podcast, and then I want to tell you about what we're going to do with Offscript. The new podcast we're going to launch soon is called Govern Yourself Accordingly. It's a podcast for engaged citizens and public leaders who want to lead change through politics with their integrity intact. The podcast is not just for Nova Scotians, it's for people engaged in politics everywhere, curious about how they can do it better. We've got some exciting guests lined up for the first several episodes, and if you've been enjoying Offscript, we think you're really going to enjoy this show. We're not quite ready to launch it yet, but one of the things we'd like to do is share an early episode with anybody who is interested. But there's one catch. In exchange, you agree to leave us a rating, a one to five star ranking, and a review, one to two sentences about what you think, on Apple Podcasts the day the show launches. What you say and how you rank us is up to you. If you're interested, email info at springtide.ngo with the subject line, Govern Yourself Accordingly. We'll hook you up with an early episode in exchange for an honest rating and review once the show goes live, and we'll send you an email so that you know exactly when to do that. That's info at springtide.ngo. So that's Govern Yourself Accordingly. What's going to happen with Offscript? We're going to retire the story of former Nova Scotia MLAs, and it'll be there if anybody wants to go back and find it, but the podcast in the future is going to be quite different. The format of the show will be mostly interview-based because documentary-style podcasts are very, very time-consuming to make. Uh, this podcast is going to be a space for people from our corner of the world, not necessarily limited to Nova Scotia, but certainly will have an Atlantic maritime perspective. Uh, it'll be a place where we can help share the stories, learnings, and experiences of people who are practicing politics in Nova Scotia, be they activists, be they elected officials, be they aspiring political candidates, that we otherwise wouldn't get an opportunity to hear. This podcast, we hope, will be a space where people can share what they're learning and listeners can have an opportunity to learn from one another so that we can be more effective, empathetic, and authentic citizens. All right, on to this week's podcast. Near the end of every interview we did with former MLAs, we asked them two questions. Two questions that are bound to be the most interesting for those who are currently involved in politics in Nova Scotia or for those planning to get involved in politics. One of those questions was about advice they would give to a future MLA, and the other question, which is the subject of this episode, is about the kind of changes they thought were necessary to improve Nova Scotia politics. About four years ago, the Commission on Building Our New Economy, often simply referred to as the Ivany Commission, released the Now or Never report, often simply referred to as the Ivany report. In that report, a New Politics was the first of what the commissioners called 12 game-changer strategies that the commission recommended to Nova Scotians as a way of addressing our economic challenges. The commissioners wrote that it is difficult to imagine how longer-term initiatives can be successfully implemented across two or more elections and possible changes in government and party leaders if we maintain politics as usual. And they stressed the importance of planning for economic growth on a 10-year planning horizon instead of falling into the conventional election cycle plans. New solutions can't happen with old politics, is what they said. Now, like or hate what the Ivany Report had to say, it's noteworthy for the fact that it has been roundly accepted across party lines as a report that articulated goals that were worth striving for. But that recommendation, the recommendation of pursuing a new politics, the one recommendation atop all the other recommendations, 
That's the one recommendation that has received the least attention from politicians, from media, despite getting top billing in the report itself, and nobody's pointing it out. Here at Offscript and at Springtide, we're interested in how politics can be done better in Nova Scotia. So as one of the final questions in our interviews with former MLAs, we did ask for their reflections on how what happens in the legislature and politics more broadly could be improved. It's a bit of a catch-22 when you ask active politicians to talk about democratic reform. If they've got power, there's not much incentive for them to make any changes to the system that would change that because they'd risk losing it. And when a party is in opposition, they're more likely to criticize the way we elect our representatives or the way parliament or the legislature works. So we thought with all of the experience that the former MLAs we interviewed had under their belts and none of the temptations of power around, why don't we hear what they have to say? Before I share what we heard from them, I want to give you a bit of a warning. You're going to hear from some MLAs who are frustrated with how we do politics. You're going to hear from some MLAs who are not frustrated with how we do politics. You're going to hear some vague suggestions about what we can do to change things. And you're going to hear some very specific suggestions about what we can do to change things. And then you'll hear other former MLAs tell you why those things won't work. But by the end of this episode, you will hear one very solid recommendation that was echoed by a number of MLAs from multiple parties. And while this recommendation wasn't by any means a consensus viewpoint among former MLAs, nobody told us that it was a bad idea. Nobody told us that it wasn't worth trying. And in politics, an idea like that is rare. That recommendation is a clear, specific, actionable recommendation that MLAs who sit in the legislature today could take if they wanted to, to make politics work better in our province, or at least give it a shot. That's at the end of today's episode. To start, we'll share what ex-MLAs had to say about the state of Nova Scotia politics. Few MLAs were vocal defenders of the culture they were a part of, and the way of doing politics. Most were actually craving solutions. things that, from your experience, you would say need to change in, in how we do politics in Nova Scotia? Well, it would be nice to think we could do politics with more humanness. You know, the business of opposition and what appears to be an absolute fiasco in the house of people screeching back and forth. And I mean, that's kids come into the gallery and think we're five years old down there on the floor with all the scrapping and the yelling and the there's no semblance of what it really is about when you go into the legislature and see it operating like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think there's a real my sense of a, a, a lack of respect and humanity for one another when we get in that house bickering back and forth. Um, I, I don't know where to begin to answer that. And it's not just in Nova Scotia, of course. I, I don't know of many jurisdictions that don't have um, an unhealthy political environment. Um, I don't know them all, but all the ones that I'm aware of seem to have this... Uh, insidious, sort of acrimonious, oppositional kind of notion. And I think that um, I'm not sure where I'd begin to list all this, the starting points for the solutions to all of this. Um, uh, I think the, the, the real starting point is to um, create a general acceptance that too much of it isn't working, uh, that it is too important for us to continue to fail at this level at. Um, our future it could be fundamentally different if we had a healthier, um, 
healthier institutions of public life. And again, that is not for a moment to diminish the goodwill and best intentions of the many people who step into this. But we need reformation in the worst way. I've, um, the political institutions that we're generally operating in are like the Model T Ford from a hundred years ago. They are completely outdated and they need, uh, and we need to begin to open up to new innovations and new ways of designing our systems. Uh, that includes how we elect people, it includes how we conduct uh, work in the legislature, and most fundamentally for me it involves um, finding new ways to engage citizens between elections in matters and things that matter to them. Many of the XMLAs we spoke to were really unsure about what the solution might be. I wish I had a really smart answer to that, because if I did, then I'd think, wow, that was a good idea. Um, yeah, I don't think there's a magic wand. There's not a, you know, magic bullet. There's, um, I think, more participation in opportunities for participation than less are important because then people get empowered and better informed and and some MLAs were of the opinion that the way we see politics done that's just the way it is and that's just the way it has to be I have no idea I I I I, I don't know I it, it was that way when I arrived there and I think it was that way long before I arrived there and it was that way long after I left and I think it will be that way for some time to come just and I, I don't know, and I'm not being facetious or anything else. I'm simply saying that I think that's the, I just think that's the way it is, uh, and it's the nature of the democratic structure that we have. So I, I wish I could think of easy answers and say, well, if you just change these structures here, everything will be better. But I don't, I don't actually believe that, and, and that's why I say in my book, the ultimate conclusion of the book, it's not the politicians who are going to change; they're just responding to the environment we put them in. Uh, the only way we're going to get politicians to behave differently if voters vote for different reasons. And I don't see that happening anytime soon. Many former MLAs pointed at media for their role in generating the culture of politics that we see. Looking at the way the legislature operates, the way politics operates in, in Nova Scotia, would you anything you'd change or like to see improve? Uh, I think... I think the media has an awful lot to do with that. Whether how they portray it or how people play to the media. And I'd like to see that somehow or other uh, be... I'd like to see the media be in a position... So right now, I don't know if I want to say this on that or not, but is that they're making a rock star out of Justin Trudeau, which is very dangerous for him personally. You know, and so that I think the media has a role to play, and I think if we could change anything, it would be the relationship with the media, between the media and the public, and the media and the, and the elected officials. Some former MLAs talked about the attitudes and ideas that voters come to the table with about politicians, and mused about where those ideas come from. But I think in a lot of families, kids pick up uh, negative attitudes about politics and politicians, cynical attitudes. I know where they come from, but it's not very helpful. It's sort of 
it, it should be part of how we prepare citizens to live in this society and make it better, to empower them with a better understanding of how politics works, what the options are. But it's kind of chance whether kids get that in school for the most part. You had to um, give advice on how to improve Nova Scotia's political system. What would, what would that be? Oh, I think the I think the politicians have to become more con, more congenial and more uh, friendly to one another. Um, you know, the day the election's over, that's when the parties have to disappear. Um, you know, some of my best friends didn't vote for me. Um, hard to believe, but they didn't. And some people that weren't friends did vote for me. You know. So the minute the election's over, you have to throw out the politics of the party and get down to business and work together. And I think if they started working together and stopped being so nitpicky, like this stupid Senate business, I mean, give it up. I mean, that's doing more to harm politicians than anything, because when one politician is in trouble, they all are. You know, everybody in my writing thought I was the most honest guy in the world, but if I went to Antigonish, they all thought, huh, that's that crook. And, and then that's a fact, because we had a guy that was made an example of and uh, kicked him out of the legislature. And I was up in his riding, campaigning for our candidate, and and they said, huh, you're all just stealing too. You just made an example of our guy. So people have that impression, and... and and when they do that, their opinion of all politicians goes downhill. And, uh... and many spoke about the education system, how we need more education about politics in the curriculum. I do believe that um, we need to do, do more to teach young people about the process of government, to understand the interworkings of how it actually works, uh, to so that you know, perhaps there won't be as much blame on a politician, whoever it is, or party, on, uh, um, you know, what they decide. We need to engage them. I, I, uh, I off, would often say as well, you can't, uh, if you were trying to have someone play hockey or get involved in hockey or watch hockey, and they never visited a rink before, how can you expect them to understand hockey and want to play hockey? So, you have to get them to visit the legislature. Pretty simple. It's, uh, you, you can't, there's nothing more basic in my mind. Mm. Every kid in Nova Scotia should go through that legislature. Every child. And uh, to me, that's number one. It's, it's so simple, and no one's doing it. Hardly at all. But what we'll focus on for the remainder of this episode are the kind of things that are squarely in the hands of the politicians, not the departments they manage, not the media that covers them, not the voters who judge them, but the kind of things that if one or many MLAs got together to try and change the way politics is done, they could get started on these things. Here's one idea. Well, I'll, t I'll tell you one thing would be if there wasn't such 
such a focus on casework because every MLA has totally bought into the idea that their main the main job of an MLA is back in the constituency. And and so they don't have a chance to become subject matter experts. They don't they don't have a chance to to get to know a lot about any particular topic. I mean and, and So that's one idea. And unlike the other ideas we heard, it's one of the things that any MLA who hears this could decide to act on tomorrow. It doesn't require the rest of the party to come along. It doesn't require uh, the leadership or others to endorse the idea. It doesn't require a change in system. Most of the remaining ideas we heard were ideas that would have required some critical mass either within the party that an MLA belonged to or within the legislature as a whole in order to get traction, like this one. It would be a big step forward uh, if uh, uh, parties uh, stopped worrying so much about uh, caucus discipline and and uh, uh, allowed uh, MLAs uh, or MPs to speak out uh, if they they have different views. Um, this uh, uh, you know this is a good thing. I mean, th- there's a lot that's intangible about this. That is, tone is important. You know the the. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's probably not helpful for uh, MLAs to stand up and, and call their party leader an idiot or, or whatever. I mean, you know, that's um, name calling is not all that helpful anyway. But but I mean, the the point is that 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 where reasonable people can reasonably differ and and they do, then they should be able to stand up and say what their what their different views are. Um, uh, let's, let's take a recent example in Nova Scotia, which which has been the, the dispute over the film tax credit. Right. I mean, there's something that that it seems highly unlikely that their caucus at large was was consulted about um, but even if they were um, they found themselves in the middle of a big mistake they they, they, they clearly had offended a lot of people and um, uh, individual MLAs are going to be at risk of losing their seats and uh, I'm sure not every MLA in the in the Liberal caucus uh, uh, favored uh, the initial government position or even the modified government position and uh, and let's hope that some of them internally were saying uh, what they thought to to cabinet, but but it wouldn't have been fatal to the Liberal Party if some of those MLAs act, were standing up publicly and saying, "Gosh, you know, this doesn't seem to me like such a good idea," and I'm telling the Premier and the Minister of Finance that I hope they change it. I don't see how that sinks the Liberal Party. I don't see how that is going to be fatal to Diana Whelan as Minister of Finance or, or Stephen McNeil as the Premier. Um, it would show that there, there was uh, a variety of opinions inside the party, and uh, uh, there you are, you know, and, and it would signal to their constituents for the MLAs that their MLAs were, were trying to help them uh, and in their back, end, because otherwise they don't know. They don't know that. I mean, they they have to live with with this. If they if they if they don't if they don't say that, then uh, their their uh, constituents are going to are, uh, ra- conclude and conclude rash- or, uh, rationally that the the their individual MLA supports uh, this uh, this position. Not a good thing for them electorally. I wouldn't have thought. 
anyway, so um, that's that, that's just a, a, an example where I, I think that, that there, there could be a, a, a reasonable articulation of different uh, different opinions without it being uh, um, necessary to think about expelling someone from the caucus or, or uh, uh, disciplining them forever so that they're, they're, they could never be considered for cabinet or for to be uh, uh, chair of caucus or the whip or, or something, whatever. Um, uh, this is uh, just... It should it should just be the normal part of doing business. So I, I think that that's what it would look like. That that would be a good starting point. Is is for people not to be so agitated, uh, for the party leadership not to be so agitated about uh, about uh, uh, differing voices. A handful of MLAs felt that a change in the voting system, the way we elect MLAs, might be helpful in fixing some of the problems with politics in Nova Scotia. When I was first elected, and for. A most of the time I was in the House, uh, I was a very strong proponent of the first-past-the-post system. When I began working with the Parliamentary Association, I began to discover, well, it's something I knew, but uh, not all electoral systems are first-past-the-post. I became intrigued by the system that's in place in New Zealand, the mixed-member proportional system. If there was a system that allowed uh, for more diversity amongst the political makeup of the members who are elected, then perhaps, I say just perhaps, some of the disillusionment uh, might be mitigated. Our electoral system is bankrupt. Some manner of proportional representation has to be a priority. Uh, it's a it's a big thing. Uh, it this was an opportunity we missed. Um, uh, there is sometimes the view that uh, you know people regard this as you know deck chairs on the Titanic. They're not that interested. They, uh, but I don't think this is true. I think there is a real hunger for uh, uh, developing a kind of integrity about the democratic process. Uh, and I I, th- I think uh, I think that this is uh, one of the places we need to go. Um, I mean, proportional voting could be a good thing, and uh, Stevens floating one version of it of it now. It, could be good, but then it can be bad. So it's, it's. I, I would think, I would think some system of proportional voting that forced you to speak to a larger than thirty percent, because that's the trouble with Canada now. We have the three-party system where you can win with thirty-three percent all the time, you know. And then when you only have fifty-six percent voting or something, you're winning with what twenty-two percent of the vote or something. So some system of proportional voting. One of the motivators for MLAs who thought that proportional representation would be worth trying in Nova Scotia was the idea that in countries and states where it's used, it tends to produce a more collaborative kind of politics where parties are forced to work together with one another more often. But amongst former MLAs, there were also many skeptics about what a proportional representation system would mean for Nova Scotia politics and whether coalition governments would work here. I, I I don't think that that can happen, I, oh, okay. given the structure of our. Interestingly enough, when I was in uh, in the Minister of the Department of Energy, I spent a fair bit of time in 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 conversations and dealing with uh, countries outside of Canada, and uh, a lot of them have democracies, but are very much founded on coalition governments. And I said, how in fact do you get anything done because because you have 15 different parties that are all sitting around the table with 
with something to say. And the answer was that most of that kind of decision-making takes place outside of the public forum. So when you actually present the information to the public, whether it's the minister of the day or whatever, everybody gets a little piece of it so that they can all say we're winners. And here it doesn't seem to fold that way. But what, what will happen if we change the voting system is that politicians will simply learn what is rewarded under the new voting system, and that's what they'll do. And uh, if, if it means they have to suck up to party leaders who, who devise the list, that's what they'll do. It, whatever behavior is rewarded by the voting system, that's, that's, where, that's where the politicians will put their effort. And I, I just don't know of any voting system that rewards people for doing good legislative work, doing good public policy work. So the public, like, as I said, public policy will still happen. Governing will still go on. It's just our MLAs will, will, will not be involved in it. One solution that we heard a great deal about was the committee system at the House of Assembly. If you're a regular listener to the Offscript podcast, you'll know that there are two committees that MLAs have already pointed out have been particularly useful, the Law Amendments Committee and the Public Accounts Committee. The Law Amendments Committee is the place where bills can be refined as they're moving their way through the legislature and where members of the public, you and me, can come and say something about it if we like it or hate it. The Public Accounts Committee is where people are called before the legislature, typically senior civil servants, to answer questions about the departments and the agencies that they run. And there's a lot of opportunity for facts and figures to get exposed that might not otherwise see the light of day. But when it came to the other committees at the House of Assembly, virtually every other committee, MLAs didn't think those committees were set up in a way that was helpful at all for the government or the opposition. The committee system in Nova Scotia is stupid. It is absolutely, stupidly useless, uh, with the occasional exception of the Public Accounts Committee. I would say that we have a relatively weak committee system, for example. Um, uh, I, But partly that's because governments try to minimize their exposure through the through the committee system, and in a in a majority government, they can they can do that. So they can they can make sure the committees deal with topics that aren't likely to embarrass the government, and uh, so that's that's part of their objective, and you know that's that's understandable. I, I would say committees they're not really empowered to do anything <laughs> other than to meet let people hear their concerns. But I mean, as far as making some you have a, an agenda item and all that happens is we say we'll take that back and discuss it. There's nothing, in my experience, nothing really changed other than the person had the airing. Of the, the agenda of the committees is actually quite, uh, I mean, not always, not in all committees, but often quite sort of random that uh, the, the, the members will meet and they'll say, well, what will we talk about at our meetings? Well, you know, this is the Community Services Committee. Uh, I'm kind of interested in the living wage. What do you say we spend a day on the living wage? Well, all right, uh, living wage one day. And what about, well, I'm interested in foster parents. Let's do a day on foster I mean, it's, it's, it's really quite random. It's epiphenomenal. It's shadows on the wall. It's not the real show. It has no real organic connection to what's really going on. And this deprives it of its blood and its oxygen. Uh, uh, so so that, that makes it not work. Well, the Veterans Committee in particular, I don't even know why we have a Veterans Committee. It was, I don't know, it's established as a federal sort of thing. So basically we're spending time on how to make the veterans feel good, you know. And, 
And uh, that, that one, there was very little connection because you had no legislation going through the House on Veterans Affairs, by and large, besides symbolic sort of stuff that was all handled federally. And yet it was a popular committee to be on because everyone wants to be in support of the vet. It's crazy. There's no subject matter expertise. They meet very irregularly. The topics are random. Um, there's no staff support to do research or anything like that. And so it's, it's so the, the members don't develop any expertise and they don't have any serious research support. It, it, but like if somebody were designing a system to guarantee that committees would be ineffective, they would, they, it would look a lot like Nova Scotia's. I mean, it, I mean uh, it's, it's, it's possible for a committee, even with a majority of its members coming from the majority party, which is typically the case, um, to examine seriously an area of government activity and be critical of something without it being seen as, as somehow uh, disloyal to the, to the government or embarrassing or, or whatever. I mean, um, uh, uh, critical studies can be undertaken. And, uh, and if we had committees that, you know, covered all of government and where we somebody could, like, be a member of the same committee for 10 years and become, like, the expert on a particular issue... There'd be a chance for a more meaningful right, and discussion. There could be uh, more staff to back them up and uh, and do the research and uh, uh, identify uh, potential problem areas or things that that uh, might uh, might need a good hard uh, good hard look. Um, uh, that's one of the big advantage of of the U.S. Congressional Committee system, or even even the U.K.'s, is that uh, all, almost all these committees have have uh, uh, serious staffing. They they have uh, 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 they have lawyers, they have researchers, and uh, they're they're able to uh, identify uh, 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 topics that uh, that would benefit from from some public airing. Uh, and then, uh, then, then the committee members usually take their job seriously, uh, in the sense of, of being interested in in trying to solve problems or ad- at least identify. Uh, sometimes they the name shame. I've been working on democratic reform and politics education in Nova Scotia for close to five years now. I've had a lot of conversations with people who disagree on how to improve politics, and there are plenty of people who believe that everything is working fine. And among those who don't believe that things are working fine, there's plenty of disagreement about what should be done to fix it. I can understand why other people might not be excited about this, but for me, when a handful of former MLAs from different parties float an idea about reforming the committees of the legislature so that they are more empowered to execute their responsibilities as lawmakers, and there's not any opposition to that idea, I get all kinds of warm fuzzies. Samara Canada is the national group that conducts interviews with former members of parliament, and their work is part of what inspired this podcast. In their exit interviews, former MPs told them that one of the most meaningful places they could do the work of a lawmaker was in the committee system. The issues they were tasked with addressing were well enough to find, and the partisanship that often shows up in the House of Commons seemed to be less present at committee. Committees that reflect the responsibilities of the level of government in question create an opportunity for lawmakers to seriously dig into the issues facing citizens that that government has the power to address. When you think of the key issues that a provincial government is responsible for, health and education, and you look at the list of committees in the Nova Scotia legislature, there are no committees where either of those issues naturally land. 
Redesigning the Nova Scotia Legislature's committee system might not be the best way to improve politics in Nova Scotia, and it's certainly not the only one. But if we take the opinions of former MLAs as a proxy for what current MLAs are thinking, then there is probably some appetite for change. And as promised at the beginning of this episode, if that's something that MLAs feel compelled to act on, there's nothing stopping them from starting the process today. Thanks for listening to this episode of On the Record Off Script. We will be back next Wednesday for our final episode in the story of Nova Scotia's former MLAs. And as noted at the beginning of the podcast, that is definitely not the final episode of this show. Make sure to tune in. And if you haven't had a chance to do so yet, please rate and review this podcast in Apple Podcasts. It really helps the show. you got how many more questions <laughs>